Coming from the McDowell Heating and Air Studio, welcome to the True Crime Mamas podcast. We are a not-for-profit organization dedicated to shedding light on the many tragic homicide and missing person cases across North Carolina. We strive to honor victims and their loved ones by honestly and non-sensationally sharing their stories. Cry Mamas and friends, this is Christina and Heidi. Hope everyone is having a great week so far. Um, we're kind of taking a departure from some of our normal cases where they're very heavy in interviews. Um, those cases have been taking us quite a long mm-hmm. time. So what we thought we would do is just do a couple mini episodes for you before we jump back into some big cases. So today we're going to jump into the story of a real life Barbie and Ken. Oh man. Yeah. And I, I know nothing about this case so it'll be good it'll be fun to tell you um, i had actually forgotten about the cases it's been a while ago but it's a famous north carolina case from the early 2000s so this real life barbie and ken power couple um and even their friends call them barbie and ken so i, I just yeah. didn't name them barbie and ken i kind of don't like that yeah their friends call them that but these <laughs> these people were like a power couple they were incredibly brilliant gorgeous athletic they were described as all american just what you would consider to be what we would call a perfect couple. So they were at Purdue University in Indiana, and they graduated and got married in 1993. So what brought them in North Carolina was um, they had um, an opportunity to get graduate degrees at North Carolina State. So go Wolfpack. And um, (laughs) not that I really know sports. (laughs) Go sports. (laughs) After Eric received his PhD in 1998, he received a federal grant, and that was to work as a postdoctoral research scientist, not assistant, at UNC. Yeah. And it was at the um, Lineberger Comprehensive Cancer Center. And... You know, I did not know this until um, I actually um, had a blood clot. And a lot of the cancer centers also deal with um, any type of blood diseases. Oh, so that makes sense. what he was working with was pediatric AIDS research. Oh, so he's like the coolest guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, super cool. And um, he was a research fellow. So, I mean, it sounds like a super cool job and you yeah. think it would mean a lot of money. But unfortunately, he wasn't really making a lot of money. He was yeah. just working on a research grant. I don't think grant. fellows usually make a lot of money. They really I mean, don't. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I would <laughs> yeah. imagine they're kind of like doctors that just start out, uh-huh. you know, and they're like doing yeah. rotations. Like I guess the work they're doing is more important. So they just they'll compromise on their pay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but I mean, he was making a difference in the life of kids. So I imagine that the reward was also there too. Mm -hmm. Um, So in January, 2000, they had their only daughter, her name was Claire. Mm -hmm. And shortly after her birth, Anne decided to stop her PhD study. So she was doing the same thing as Eric, but wanted to do something a little bit more lucrative. So she took her graduate degree and she got a job as a research scientist at GlaxoSmithKline, which Pretty important. Yeah. And RTP research, research triangle park. So there's Heidi's from Utah, y'all. And so (laughs) with um, research triangle park, that's an area um, of Raleigh that is really um, technical. They do a lot of um, either software type of things or pharmaceuticals. So, but like medical. 
it's all kind of a medical for the most part except the software is a little bit more diverse but there's a lot of medical because of um, the hospitals Duke Mm -hmm. and UNC being around so um, she got to GlaxoSmithKline and it was a great paying job not just okay I mean she was doing really well and this is after their baby after their baby Mm -hmm. so she had a newborn but it was just something that gave the family an opportunity to have some of the finer things in life and from everything that I read and really liked the finer things in life, especially Mm -hmm. when it benefited her self-care. So right after she got the job, she splurged on breast augmentation surgery and then got a couple other cosmetic surgeries and beauty treatments. Cool. You do you, mama. Exactly. You do you. um, Have fun. Um, And according to her former sister-in-law, Leanne McGee, Anne's outer appearance was very important to her. How she dressed, her makeup, her hair, everything down to fingernails and toenails. So it sounds like she was super polished. And an added benefit to this new job was an opportunity to meet new people. So um, she got really close with new coworkers and they um, spent time outside of work as well. So they had a lot of um, socialization activities. So Anne made some new friends and ended up inviting her husband, Eric, to come along on outings. And just like many couples do, they make couple friends. And one of them was a couple um, by the names of Daryl and Yvette Willard. And the one thing they also had in common is they also had a young daughter. Mm -hmm. So the friendly relationship, though, unfortunately became a romantic relationship between Anne and Daryl. Yuck. And according to Daryl's wife, Yvette, Daryl was depressed about turning 40. Oh, my gosh. So that that was a little difficult on him. And she said that um, they had been married for a while, but the newness had worn off and they just started fighting a little bit more. So he had an affair because he turned 40? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I somehow missed that assignment. Yeah, no. <laughs> it did not happen. Um, so after Anne came into Daryl's life, he started paying more attention to his appearance. He started oh, working out. Warning sign. Yeah, lots of red flags. And Yvette actually said, um, I knew he was attracted to Anne when I knew the way he talked about her versus the way he talked about everyone else at work. So. Oh. You know, she totally had that wife instinct. So she Yvette knew something was up. and Aaron worked together? Um, Yvette and uh, Yvette was the wife of Daryl. Daryl and Anne okay. worked together. Okay. Yeah. And then um, Eric is Anne's. Eric, I said Aaron. That's okay. <laughs> Eric, Aaron, <laughs> close enough. But they, um, so how he was involved with Daryl was because of his wife. Right, right, right. So they were still hanging out, but then also there was the affair going on. Trying to keep up. It's like days of our lives. It kind of is. That's how the story is. And (laughs) it gets a lot more complex from here. So Daryl told Yvette on her birthday, I'm happy birthday, Yvette. He needed time away to think things over. And so he was going to go on a work trip to Chicago. With his mistress. And Yvette said she knew that he was going on a romantic tryst with Anne, but she didn't confront Daryl out of fear. She said, you can know the truth, but until it's spoken, once you get those words out, you can't get them back. Yeah. Okay. And she said, and I guess I was hoping he'd realize what he was doing. So I think she was kind of hoping for a rude awakening without her saying, Mm -hmm. what's up? You're cheating on me. Yeah. So instead of a work trip, Anne and Daryl went to Chicago for a romantic getaway at the Ritz-Carlton. So bougie little trip. Yep. And Anne wrote email, an email to Daryl um, after the trip. And the email stated, I never want to stop making you 
feel. I want to show you new things. I want to touch you in places that you knew not existed. (laughs) Very uncomfortable. I think everyone in the room is cringing for our listeners. I'm not a fan of that. (laughs) No. And I mean, in emails too. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's out there. You yeah. Can't take that back. No, I mean emails forever. Mm-hmm. So shortly after Anne and Daryl returned from their trip, there was a bowling night, and you know, being a good friend that Daryl was, he invited Anne's husband Eric to join them. Not so, knowing he was sleeping with his wife. Well, no, Dar- so you're confused. Oh my again. gosh. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, Shortly after Anne and Daryl returned from their romantic getaway, mm-hmm. um, there was a bowling night, and Daryl, okay. Anne's boyfriend, okay. I don't want, want yeah. to use the L word, but yeah. boyfriend, lover, lover, lover. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, she, he invited Eric, Anne's husband, okay, okay, okay. to go bowling, gotcha. and then two other co-workers went too. So, this so without is, the wives? No wives, just... Okay. Just the guys. And so Daryl bought the whole group of guys a round of beers and personally handed them out to each guy. Okay. So Eric tasted his beer and it just didn't taste mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going there. And soon after, he became violently ill. Oh, was that eye drops? It was not eye drops. Okay. But just wait. If I was going to, I would use eye drops. Just so you're aware. Oh gosh! They won't go to you. Okay, good. <laughs> eye drops. Someone else did that, didn't they? Wasn't that a case where someone used eye drops? Probably. Oh boy. Well, it's actually much more sinister than eye drops. Okay. Just wait. So um, his condition became so bad that Anne had to drive him over to Rex Healthcare. It was the closest hospital mm-hmm. to where they lived, and he was admitted. And because of that beer, he stayed at the hospital for more than a week. Mm-hmm. And doctors were flummoxed. They, did they could, do a tox screen. They did, but they couldn't figure out why he was so sick. And they thought it was food poisoning because he thought it was something they ate. And so, in the midst of his hospital stay, he was transferred from Rex to UNC Hospitals and tests were performed and they showed traces of arsenic but for some reason there was a delay in relaying this information to the provider so they did the test but the test results didn't come back in a timely manner arsenic is a powder right it is a powder yeah so eric started to improve and he was released from the hospital and sent home to recuperate but then six days later he became violently ill again Because he was getting it at home. He ate dinner, a chicken dinner, (gasps) that was prepared by his wife, Anne. And Anne rushed him back to Rex Healthcare, and doctors started the process of reviewing his test results. So that's when, ding, 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 toxicology. that's so dumb. Like, of course they're going to do a toxicology report. Yeah. With, like, mysterious symptoms. Yeah. That's dumb. But Anne was weaving a little plan. Okay. She and Anne had a plan. <laughs> so um, Eric's blood work came back from the lab and it was found he had high levels of arsenic in his blood. So they started treatment immediately to see what they could do. Um, and because Eric was poisoned with arsenic, the Raleigh Police Department was brought in to investigate. But before the detectives could even get to the hospital, Eric was dead. Oh. 
and he was only 30. Shut down your organs. Everything. Just kills you from the inside. It kills you from the inside Ugh. out. And I mean, there are stories of people getting poisoned by arsenic, and it mm-hmm. is a very violent, yeah. disgusting death. So um, before his death, though, Eric um, told officials he had no idea how he came into contact with arsenic. He could not figure out what could have happened. So while funeral arrangements are being made from Eric, police began their investigation. And once they had the toxicology report in their hands, it had been revealed that Eric had been poisoned for quite a while. So it wasn't Um, just starting with the beer. It mm -hmm. had been um, actually, they think um, that, he had probably been, I'm getting small doses of arsenic for about five months oh, wow. before he so actually died. They were just died. like walking around town with arsenic in their pocket. Well, like remember where they worked? Oh, yeah. They worked at GlaxoSmithKline. Yeah. So believe it or not, they had access to it. Yeah. So, um, and again, that meant whoever poisoned Eric actually did have access to arsenic for a long period of time. And it didn't take long for cops yeah. to have a suspect. So the most obvious suspect was Eric's wife, Anne. Mm-hmm. And Anne did not do anything to dissuade suspicion. She refused to cooperate with police. And in just a couple of days after Eric's death, she had already retained attorneys. And not just, you know, your regular run-of-the-mill give you advice. She got these high-profile attorneys. And you weren't living in North Carolina at the time, but... Back right before this, there were some lacrosse players from Duke, and these lacrosse players were accused of rape, and they got them off. So oh, wow. they were really experienced. Was he the same attorney that um, that took the case of the staircase? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, Michael. Oh, what was his name? Oh, Jenny's Googling. We'll get back to you. We'll keep going. So, yeah, um, so she got, like, not one, but... Two really good attorneys. Wow. Yeah. So the police investigation kept going, though, in spite of that. And they ended up going to GlaxoSmithKline. And they ended up seizing something called sodium cacolidate, which... Y'all, I know I can't pronounce these. <laughs> that sounds right. Forgive me. But what this is, it's a color, colorless to light yellow crystalline solid or powder, and it smells a little bit like garlic. Okay. So I can see how beer could kind of disguise that garlicky taste. And then also um, chicken, like a chicken dinner coat or anything that you might eat for dinner. I mean, you could just say you really like garlic a lot. Yeah. So um, it's an organic arsenic compound, which is used as a herbicide and a medication in animals. And then they also got two expense reports, a fulfillment contract, a lab notebook, a computer, and a keyboard. Oh, so they were getting a lot of stuff. Okay, going back to the attorney, what was their name? Their names David were... David Rudolph? Not the same, though. Oh, um, the same. It was Wade Smith and Joe Cheshire. Oh, so close. So um, the investigation then moved to UNC hospitals, and that was where Eric worked. And they searched um, his computer network, and they took two disks, which contained his emails and his lab's computer files. Because by this point, they figured out that they were lovers. Well, Eric is the husband. Oh, right, right. Gosh, <laughs> seriously. It's been too long since I've watched a soap opera. I know. It's really hard to keep up with. There are a <laughs> lot of players in this game. So, and then when they went back to the Miller's house, so Eric and Ann's house, mm-hmm. they seized a laptop. So, of course, they found emails on Ann's work computer, and it indicated she was having an affair with Daryl Willard. Mm-hmm. And it also proved that the work trip to Chicago was instead that romantic yeah. weekend at the Ritz-Carlton. 
So on January 21st, 2001, the Raleigh Police Department searched the home of Daryl the Lover. We'll mm-hmm. just go ahead and say it. <laughs> and they seized documents and two computers. And during the search, Daryl was questioned about his relationship with Anne mm-hmm. as well as Eric's death. And he insisted he had absolutely nothing to do with Eric's yeah, death. Of course. And then he refused to talk to anyone and said he needed to have a lawyer. So he Which, shut it down. To be fair, yeah. if I ever got questioned, I would not speak a word without an attorney. And everyone, don't talk to police. Get an attorney. Don't take a lie detector. Yeah, but um, he immediately shut down, too. So, I mean, they now had two suspects that were not communicating. And so, later that same day, Anne... Um, had her in-laws over to celebrate their baby Claire's first birthday. And the celebration was interrupted by police knocking on the door. And police wanted to talk to Anne because they wanted to confront her about her relationship with Daryl Willard. They probably waited to make their big entrance during a family birthday party. And it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But um, Anne saw the detectives at the door and she ran upstairs and hid in a closet. Oh, that's not I, know. <laughs> I mean, at least, you know, sister own it or deny it, but <laughs> yeah. closet, but that's what she did. And then the very next day, there was another tragedy. Um, Yvette Willard um, came home and she found her husband, Daryl, dead in their garage. Um. And he had had a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. And beside his body, he left a handwritten note. He apologized to his family and he declared he was innocent. The note said... I have been accused of an action for which I am not responsible. I have taken no one's life save my own. The world looks black to me. All I can see is a smearing of my name, pain cost to my family, personal humiliation, and probable economic ruin. I wonder if Yvette was suspicious. Or if she, by that point, knew of the affair. I think she knew of the affair. Yeah. Um, I don't think she thought her husband would have had anything to do with it yeah. at all. And... I don't know. Um, They don't really go into detail about how much he was involved with it, but ultimately, I mean, the beer, yeah, at the bowling alley, yeah. But one time making someone a little sick versus five months, yeah, for sure. Not that there's any excuse to do that. (laughs) No. (laughs) So on May 10th, so this is and five months later, Eric Miller's autopsy report was released, and it confirmed he was poisoned with arsenic. And at least two doses were administered and at least one when he was last hospitalized. So someone was still poisoning him in the hospital. The toxicology report also revealed that the substance seized from Anne's workplace was found in Eric's blood, liver, and urine. So they were able to connect the substance to what was in Eric's body. Yeah. And then on May 16th, six days later, a new toxicology report was released by the ME. And this report showed that Eric was given at least one substantial dose of arsenic several months before his death. So again, going back to where they thought it was five months, I mean, Mm -hmm. they were able to prove it out. So not long after the deaths of Eric and Daryl, Anne decided to pack up everything and her daughter and move to Wilmington. And she moved in with her sister, but also started a completely new life. Mm -hmm. So this life included a new job. So she was um, a research scientist. Now she becomes an interior designer, quite a departure, but, Mm -hmm. and then also she has a new boyfriend. Um, he's a Christian rock star. And I, I don't mean to get giggly about that, but... But murder's not very Christian. No, exactly. No. It's like, did, did she tell him? Like, did he know or was... 
it's just something that I, I don't know. It just doesn't so connect. Because the police didn't have like proof, proof, they couldn't hold her in like wherever she was. Yeah, they okay. just didn't have enough evidence and they knew she was complicit, yeah. but they just didn't have anything to like yeah. tie her to it. So they kind of had to let her go do her own thing. Well, that was though until they interviewed Yvette Willard. So okay. they talked to Daryl's wife and in this interview, she told police that Daryl had talked to his attorney, Rick Gammon. So remember, he requested uh-huh. an attorney. Gammon told Daryl that he could be charged with attempted murder. So mm. if Daryl's lawyer told him he could be charged, what did Daryl say to make yeah. him say this? Well, Gammon refused to say anything because yeah. he said, well, you know, this is attorney-client privilege. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. So because even of that. Even if he's dead? Even if he's dead. I mean, he... He stood his ground and two years of litigation followed because he was not going to reveal. So they ended up taking it all the way to the Supreme Court. So during those two years, though, more details about Anne's odd behavior before and following her husband's death came out. During her affair with Daryl Willard, she apparently was also having an affair with a man in California. And on the day that Eric went into the ICU, instead of, you know, being there for her husband, she just went and had her hair done. Oh, cool. That that was really important. And then another time, this dude's dying. She left his side to go clean the house. She probably had someone that cleaned her house. Let's be real. Yeah, probably. And from the first night of Eric's hospitalization, she trashed all of his soil clothes. And I don't know, like, if my husband was in the hospital dying, I would want to keep everything that smelled like him. And I know that's kind of weird, but, you know, it would be comforting. Oh, like soiled, like when he was sick. Yeah. Okay. Like, I'm talking about just dirty clothes. Like, stuff stuff would go in a dirty clothes basket, not like he threw up or anything So she threw away his dirty clothes? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, and also, um, the one kind of big slap to Eric's family, they wanted to have him buried. She chose to have him cremated. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, a lot of people in the lives that we cover make that decision because you can't do anything with the body once it's ashes. So Anne moved on with her life without Eric. She married her boyfriend. His name is Paul Martin Kantz. He's a Christian rock guitarist. All while having this baby. Well, she's probably not a baby anymore. Yeah. But that lost her dad. Yeah. And they um, actually um, moved in with his daughter from a previous marriage. So it was the four of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Anne, Claire, um, Paul, and then his daughter. Mm -hmm. So on May 27, 2004, the North Carolina Supreme Court finally ruled that Rick Gammon, Dara Willard's attorney, had to privately tell a judge what Willard told him. So then the judge was supposed to determine whether the information should remain confidential and they could continue to respect attorney-client privilege or if that information should be given to authorities. Yeah. So when the judge, it was Wake Senior Resident Superior Court Judge Donald W. Stevens, ordered him to reveal the information, Gammon decided he was going to appeal. Oh. So even though he was ordered to do it, he still took it back to the Supreme Court. What, do you, what does he have to lose at that point? I, I mean, maybe it was just principle. Like, you know, this is something yeah, that could change everything. Like, if I don't stand by attorney-client privilege, mm-hmm. what does that mean for my future clients? Yeah. I mean, I could see on principle yeah. doing it. But anyway, the information um, remains secret. And finally, though, he um, had to 
share what happened. So he went to Superior Court, they said, or the Supreme Court, excuse me, and they said he had to do it. Mm -hmm. So he revealed that Derek told him the day before his death that he met Anne with met up with Anne, excuse me, in a parking lot, and Anne was really upset and crying. She admitted to him that while Eric was hospitalized, she took a syringe that contained a substance and injected it into his IV. Daryl asked her, why did she do this? And she said, I just, I don't know why I did it. So Daryl claims he didn't know of the five months prior of poisoning? They don't go into details. I mean, I tried to find a little bit more. Pretty much. But that sounds like he didn't know. Like, that was her first confession of using poison. Yeah, she confessed that she Uh used poison then. So, and honestly, that was all they needed to charge her with murder. Mm -hmm. So, they um, ordered her to surrender herself to authorities. And on September 27, 2004, a Wake County grand jury indicted Anne with first-degree murder and the death of her husband. Mm -hmm. So, she moved on. Instead of going to trial, a plea deal was offered to Anne, and they really wanted to do this to spare the family yeah. and to spare little Claire. Yeah. So they made the decision that they would offer her 25 years in prison, and she made the decision to take the plea deal. Okay. So she was, like, in her 30s at this point. Mm-hmm. So after five years of continuous denial, on November 7th, 2005, Ann Miller-Kantz finally pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and the death of her husband, Eric Miller. I thought you were going to tell me she did the Alfred plea, where they're like, okay, I'm not going to admit that I did it, but you can still send me to jail. She totally admitted nice. it. I guess she kind of knew, you know, she went to trial, yeah. she could face life in prison. So this was a better deal for her. Yeah. So at that point, she was sentenced to 25 to 31 and a half years. And that's the maximum allowed um, for someone who had no prior convictions. Even for murder? Even for murder, which I thought was yeah. really tame. Which is clearly premeditated murder. Yeah. Hmm. But it was a plea deal. So they, they yeah. I guess they thought what they did was fair. And her attorney, Joseph B. Cheshire, read a statement that she prepared. And she said, For reasons I do not now understand, I permitted myself to knowingly participate with Daryl Willard in events which cost my husband his life. I will struggle for the rest of my life with how this could have happened. I have asked God to forgive me, and I hope that God will also help those others whom I've hurt to find in their hearts to forgive me as well. So, of course, she throws Daryl on her bus because he's dead and he can't defend himself. Exactly. And, I mean, we don't know. I mean, I couldn't find anything to prove that he did something to the beer. I mean, I feel like he probably threw a little something, something in there. So, maybe because the arsenic was attacking all the organs, the liver, the Mm -hmm. liver couldn't process the beer right. Oh, that's a really good thought. So, maybe that just pushed him over the edge. Maybe say like maybe he actually had no idea and they just thought it was the beer and mm-hmm. it was something he or had for dinner. Or maybe he wasn't a big drinker, so like a beer was didn't happen very often and that kind of just pushed his liver overboard. Yeah, I mean, but pretty much they say that Daryl had nothing to do with his yeah. death, which I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So also shortly after Anne took the plea deal, it was ruled that she was not allowed to see her daughter Claire anymore. Oh, poor Claire. Which, but. Yeah, no. I get it. Yeah. And until she turned um, 21, um, Claire's aunt and Eric's family share custody of her. And now she's um, aged out of any type of custody, so she's a young adult. So Ann Miller-Kantz is incarcerated at the Anson Correctional Institution in Polkton, North Carolina. She doesn't have any um, 
anything on her record other than the fact that she murdered her husband. Mm-hmm. So she has been a very well-behaved um, prisoner. But her earliest projected release date is September 15th, 2029. And she'll be 59 years old. So That's not that far away. And she won't, I mean, she could definitely still have lovers. She definitely 59. could have lovers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's the story of Ann Miller-Kant. So we always thought we had one black widow in North Carolina, yeah. but we actually have two. That was a good case. Good job. Oh, thanks. It was um, really interesting to interview um, yeah. or to it was really interesting to research. I you have interviews really on your mind. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Well, that concludes our case. We hope everyone has a great couple of weeks and we'll see you then. We'll see ya. True Crime Mamas podcast is a production of TCM Productions. Theme music created by the talented Brian Anderson. Cover art created by design extraordinaire Marley Soden. Studio sponsored by McDowell Heating and Air. Keep your home comfortable all year with McDowell Heating and Air. True Crime Mamas podcast is property of True Crime Mamas LLC. Support True Crime Mamas by following us on Instagram and Facebook and check out our website at truecrimemamaspodcast.com for sources and more.